In this week's episode of Studio Inter, we'll be reviewing the matches against Hellas and Torino. We'll be previewing the Spal and Roma games, special guest Nicky Bandini, this week's Moji, Frog and Moratti, and much, much more. Everything here on Studio Inter, only on centerinter.com. Benvenuti, bentornati to another edition of Studio Inter. I am your host, Nima Tadali wishing you all... Well, I hope you're okay, because this last week in Interland has been mad. Um, but we're, it's, I mean, we're talking everything from drunk driving to... Uh, Conta almost resigning, to Skriniar almost being sold and replaced by Itzo, uh, everything there between a typical, just your average normal interweek. But before we get into all of that, uh, I'd like to introduce our panelists, uh, starting with the SempreInter.com preview writer, Mr. Mohamed Nasser. Welcome, Mo. Hey, 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 hey. Uh, what a week to be back and on the pod, so really looking forward to getting into it. Yes, for sure. And we're also joined by our good friend, Mr. Will Beckman. Good evening. I haven't been sacked following last week's um, <laughs> turmoil, so I'm still here um, looking forward to making more contradictory statements in the next hour. <laughs> I can't wait to listen to it. And we're also joined by a good friend uh, who also runs the Inter supporters uh, on YouTube account, uh, Mr. Fulvio Santucci. Hi, Fulvio. Hi, Neymar. Good evening to everyone. It's great to be here to comment another drama in another season final for Inter. <laughs> oh, my God. This, this team, this team. Um, right. Um, and we're also joined by a very special guest. Uh, she is uh, she's a broadcaster and uh, Serie A expert and writer, right, contributes to The Guardian, ESPN, TalkSport, and is also on the excellent Serie A Awesome Pod together with our good friends Mina Arzuki and Gab Marcotti, making her Serie, uh, making her Studio Inter debut. Welcome, Miss, Miss Nikki Bandini. You might also get one extra guest on this podcast, which is my dog Ross, who, as we established just before we started recording, is going a bit crazy. He's now on my lap, so if you get sniffing noises into the mic, I promise it's not me. <laughs> Well, welcome, Ross, and welcome, Nikki. Um, it's good to have you both. Um, this is a bit of a, this past week, I mean, Inter is generally Inter. Everyone knows that it's crazy. Things are anything but quiet and boring. Uh, they, they don't have the time to. But I, I have to say this one, these past seven days have been really something special. From from emails being sent, allegedly sent to the wrong, to, the, to everyone at the club when they were just supposed to be sent to the president, from Brozovic drunk driving, from Handanovic losing his mind, from Conte resigning and then coming back again. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. Um, they Conte started this season by saying he wanted Inter to be less Pazza. Inter are more Pazza than ever. Um, I, I'm just keen to hear what your take is uh, on, on this entire situation. I mean, starting with the email, with, with the email that was allegedly sent to the wrong person. Um, well, what do you think is going on at Inter right now? The email story is um, an interesting one. Uh, it hasn't made it to me if it did indeed make it to everyone at Inter. So I don't know exactly what's happened with this. You say Inter denied the story, but it's certainly a very... Um, <laughs> it, fits, it fits the narrative, doesn't it? That, 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 Inter, that an email, this email, which was supposedly um, an internal email, um, talking about everything that gone wrong this season, addressed <laughs> Stephen Chang and somehow found it either to everyone or at least some people um, that it wasn't supposed to get to. I, yeah, like I say, I, I don't know what to make of this story because the email itself, I haven't managed to get hold of it, which doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It just means that, um, I don't know, I think if it had gone to everyone, we would have seen it by now. Um, but uh, yeah, the other stuff, um, Brozovic, I mean, there's not a lot to say other than that he's an idiot. <laughs> um, I, I, I have very little sympathy for, for drink driving, I'm afraid. So that's, uh, yeah, not great. And uh, the other stuff on the pitch is bewildering to me. I've really had a hard time analysing it, frankly, as a journalist. You watch this team and you think, 
you have a handle on what they are and consistently they find ways to reverse it. Um, the amount of good first halves into terrible second halves this season, the amount of leads thrown away from impossible positions. I mean, a goal up in the 61st minute against Bologna with a penalty and a man advantage. That's an unlosable <laughs> situation, or it should be. But with Inter, when it happens, all you do is shrug because you go, okay, well, that's what happens. It's it's become a very odd season to analyse because I still think there's been progress here under Conte. I think that the team is in a better position. I wonder whether the team is positioning itself or not, though. Take the next step, which is really the relevant thing. I don't think I would have criticised Conte at the start of the season for not clearing out everything that was wrong, for not winning the, the league in his first season. But do I necessarily think everything is being put right to win next season? I'm not sure. I still have some reservations. That's a good. I agree. I agree one hundred percent. And I usually say, I, I I have this thing where I say that time is relative at Inter, in the sense that, uh, Inter like you know Inter a human year, uh, is is like fourteen Inter years, like like dog years. It's like time is is warped and goes really fast at Inter. And this past week has been. I mean, it's only been seven days since we recorded this pod, and all this stuff has happened. Um, so I'm I'm gonna hand you over to Mo. Did you have a question for Nikki? Yeah, hi Nikki. Um, thanks for coming on. I, I'm always um, excited when we get a like a an, a Syria expert uh, at large um, on the pod because we get to ask uh, overall general questions. I mean, it's un, undeniable that as Syria supporters or fans, uh, we all seem to recognize that the general standard of the league has uh, has increased uh, over the past four or five seasons. Uh, whether it's uh, the players, the coaches, the general play, the number of goals scored, it's a far more exciting league. But for some reason, at the end of every season, it's the same result. Juve seemed to, you know, walk away with the title, barring that one one season with uh, when Sadi was at Napoli. But that aside, it's just the same thing. It's it's uh, Groundhog Day over and over again. What do you think is the root cause behind this? Is this is this like an insurmountable gap from by the other clubs? Are we are we slowly devolving into a, a Bundesliga, or or is 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 in fact the league improving like we seem to think or want it to be? Well, I'm glad you mentioned Napoli because I do sometimes feel like uh, I've I've hallucinated that whole season. The amount of people who say to me, oh, Juventus always win without any trouble. And I think, well, that definitely happened. You know, Napoli, <laughs> first of all, 91 points, which is an absurd number of points not to win the league with. And and secondly, it had gone in the spring to Juventus and won with that Koulibaly header. And it looked like it was theirs, frankly, until they went to Fiorentina and blew it. Um, the, there's a boring answer to, to, to your um, broader question about whether it's just that Juventus are going to keep winning and, and why it's it's money. Like it's it's a really boring answer, but it's just the truth. Since they built that stadium, since they improved their revenue streams, and since they have continued over the, the nearly a decade um, since then to continue um, being better than everyone in the league, frankly, at doing their commercial deals, bringing in extra revenues. The Ronaldo deal we can talk about in terms of merits and, and, and not merits because it cost them a lot, but they're certainly taking risks and being aggressive in a way that, frankly, no one else in the league was for a really, really long time. Now, to me, um, as a, and I realise that this is an Inter podcast, but as a person standing back from it all, Inter are the team that look like they are most um, closest, I would guess, to to challenging that now, right? Because Stephen Zhang is a serious owner who is trying to do the same things, who is trying to um, bring in better commercial deals, who is working on this uh, stadium topic, which makes me really sad because, frankly, San Siro is just such a beautiful stadium and the thought of it coming down breaks my heart. Um, but the overall vision is there at Inter for the first time in a while for in a way that the other clubs that are structurally built to challenge Juventus, it still isn't necessarily. I think Milan are, are getting better, but I don't think they have that whole picture sort of in hand in the same way. I think Roma have run into such a bureaucratic nightmare with their stadium that it's really held them back. Um, I, I feel like Inter are making the right decisions, but they're still playing catch up. I think the transfers 
that they're making are sufficiently aggressive that this gap feels bridgeable in a short-term way. I think that Inter are not that far behind Juventus right now. I don't think this current Juventus team are that great, frankly. Um, but structurally, there's still work to do. And all over Europe, in every league in Europe, in general, the teams that are built to succeed because they have the best revenues and the best financial setup are the ones that succeed. And that's boring. Um, and it's not you, it's not constant, right? Leicester did win in England. In another season, if it wasn't for the interruption, I think Lazio might have won the season. I really do. I think the lockdown has hurt them horribly. Um, Atalanta are nowhere near on a financial footing with Juventus, and they were far better than them on Sunday. So it's not inevitable, right? It's not inevitable that the richest team wins, but over time, the richest team will win. Um, so, yeah, the, the boring answer is until someone else is doing business at something close to the same level as Juventus, Juventus will expect to win most of the time. Build that new stadium in Milan. <laughs> Put down because I love San Siro. <laughs> I, I love it too, but I mean, I mean, with modern football, I mean, it's it's just you got it. I mean, the match they were having. We had we had David Garthon, who used to was the commercial mm-hmm. venues director at Inter, and he said, I mean, it's you can't compare. I mean, the match day revenue that that that, that Man United make and Inter make throughout a season. Yeah. I mean, it's a fraction of a like Inter make a fraction of what they do per game almost. You know? Of course, so. and and the other element is that Juventus in this period, if you want to scale it over the full ten years, are the only team that made the Champions League consistently in that period. All of Roma, Inter, Milan, um, the clubs that you expect to be capable of of sort of having the same sort of footing as them have been in and out. Um, so they've got a massive head start, um, and it's. It's interesting because if you look at it in a broader European sense, the TV revenue that is brought in now in England is is so far ahead that the Champions League is not as relevant for Premier League clubs as it is for Italian clubs. But for Italian clubs, it's still really important. Mm, for sure. I'm going to hand you over to Fulvio now. Did you have a question for Nikki? Yeah. <clears throat> Ciao, Nikki. First of all, let Ciao. me compliment you for the great coverage you did so far, you provide so far on the on the Serie A, and uh, I would like uh, to cross the border between uh, Italy and UK, like we had, we did uh, by talking, um, by talking about Alexis Sanchez. I would like mm. to understand uh, how do you see your future, because uh, we know that uh, Inter is interested to buy him. Uh, we know that it's not a smooth transition to do. Um, so two questions for you. The first, of, the first is, uh, how do you see the Manchester United in this? Uh, so are they interested to take back the player in, in the Old Trafford? And uh, um, second one is uh, your opinion about this. How do you see him the best? Uh, so either Serie A or Premier League, either Inter or Man United? Um, I, I don't think United are especially desperate to hold on to him. I think they may have some um, desire to be able to record a positive number on the, the balance sheet for him. But I don't think he's... Um, I don't personally think he has a future at Manchester United. I think they they will look to move him on one way or another at this point. I think the club is moving on without him, has moved on without him, and especially in the last few weeks actually has started to seem like it's back on a positive track again. I don't think I see him coming back there. Um, I think, to me, he seems like a better fit at this point in Serie A than he does in the Premier League. I think he has a certain comfort actually in Serie A which goes back to his time at Udinese and really the, the place where I think for a lot of us he sort of made his his name and I think the league well I, you know I can only speak for for my observation of him really but I think I've seen him look much better in an Inter shirt than I had in a while before that um, I think he was lost in the mess at Old Trafford and I think at Inter I still have questions about exactly how it works in terms of this team the setup the greater vision and some of that um you know there's questions on all sorts of players aren't there i mean is lautaro going to be there next season um but the exact sort of vision of of conte's first 11 next season i still have some questions about but i think the last few weeks have definitely shown that he has um that he can contribute and contribute effectively whether or not he can contribute cost effectively is another question but i think I think my hunch is he'll be at Inter next season because I think that Conte wants him and I think he's happier in Italy than he was in, in England. Yeah, a good, that's a good point. Um, Will, did you have a question for Nikki? 
I do, yes. Uh, hi, Nikki. I wanted to go back to the discussion that, um, that you were having with Mo about sort of the, 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 the challenge for the, the challenges to catch up with Juventus. And I've kind of got two two considerations in my head at the moment. One is that Antonio Conte, in his previous two experiences at top clubs, has given the best of himself in his first season in charge. Uh, the other one is that Juventus uh, look significantly weaker and less convincing than they may have done in recent seasons, having lost more games and conceded way more goals than in previous seasons. So with those two things in mind, despite all the clear sort of limitations with this squad and the um, and uh, the players that Conte has available, the question is, is there a chance that assuming nothing ridiculous happens in the last month, Inter may have missed their, their real chance to win the Scudetto this season. Um, I'm, I'm trying to recall back to Conte's three seasons at Juventus. I don't know if I agree that he gave his best in his first season. It was perhaps the most impressive because at that point Juventus were coming off a seventh place finish and we didn't expect it of them, but um, definitely wasn't their best points tally. Um, and uh, I think he's... Uh, I think you can look at each of these situations in isolation. I think Conte's first, uh, Conte's impact at Juventus, first of all, was transformative and he won the title every season. So I don't see a major sort of reason to pick holes in that. Um, at Chelsea, he came into a situation where I think there was an opportunity to win that first season, which wasn't there in the second season. I think Chelsea were not structurally positioned really to be the best team in England with everything that was going on with uh, the money being spent elsewhere at that time. Um, Chelsea obviously have spent a ton of money. Um, they were the original, well, the original is not even a fair thing to say because you can go back to Blackburn, I guess, at the beginning of the Premier League era. But certainly they were a, a defining sort of big spender in the Premier League. But they... Um, at the time when Conte came in, they were no longer the most lavish spenders in the Premier League. And I think he he had a window to succeed and he succeeded in it. Um, I think that the window at Inter looks different. Um, this first season was definitely an interesting one. It was an interesting one because it was Sadi's first season and uh, the sort of settling in period for him, I guess, offered a window. Um, I certainly think it's true that Conte had that initial impact in a very dramatic way. And... I would say that some teams, it feels like, have worked out how this Inter are playing. The question is going to be whether or not he can reinvent. And to answer that feels difficult because I think, sorry, I feel like I'm expressing this a bit of a muddled way, but I think Inter do have a longer window because the team next season is going to be different. You're going to have... Um, Aharam Hakimi for a start. You're going to have potentially Sandro Tonali. You're going to have a different set of options um, to what you have right now. And I have some questions about whether or not the team is necessarily addressing the areas it needs most, right? I think for me, uh, the, the defence has really sort of started to raise some questions. Diego Godin, as brilliant as he has been in his career, I don't think is necessarily contributing good stuff for Inter for what he's costing. Um, Bastoni, we'll see. There's more time for him to improve, but he certainly has had some lapses in the last um, few months. If Lautaro goes, do you need another proper strike partner for, for Lukaku? Um, can you get the best out of Christian Eriksen? Because again, Eriksen to me feels like an opportunity unfulfilled so far. We've had a couple of great games out of Christian Eriksen, and there was that excitement right after the end of lockdown that maybe finally we're going to see what Ericsson could look like when Conte had some time to work with him, when we'd see what he would um, look like in a formation that was designed around him with 3-4-1-2. But um, I, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of unanswered questions there, frankly. Ericsson in particular, I think, has the potential to become an albatross around Conte's neck if he can't work it out. Um, and that's why I have some particular concern about just the number of bodies in midfield. Um, and Sanchez, who isn't really an out-and-out -out attacker either, how you're going to fit all that together. But personnel-wise, I think the squad is, in theory, going to be better next season than it was this season. So given that, given that Juventus had their own problems with Cristiano Ronaldo getting older and how you play that, do you let him be the guy for another season? Do you let him go and and try and 
reimagine what you're doing. I don't know, there's, there's, a, there's a tricky transition happening at Juventus for me, and it includes um, the defence as well with Chiellini and, and him getting up in years and does the Bonucci-Delict partnership really work? And their midfield, frankly, isn't that great in my opinion. I know Arthur's going to come in and Pjanic is going out, but I don't know. I don't see this as a closed window for Inter at all. I think, again, I think the squad on paper will be better next season. Um so the opportunity is there. I, yeah, I need to see Conte prove it, that he can answer those questions. For sure. And can he do it without setting the house on fire? Which yeah. is, which, which, which seems to be the thing. I mean, uh, let's not forget that he threw a hissy, hissy fit because they wouldn't buy Juan Iturbe. Marotta wouldn't buy Iturbe, Iturbe <laughs> for him at Juventus. And, and yeah. that's when he made that famous quote about 100 euro restaurant and 10 euros in your pocket. Then, yeah. then, he, then he goes to Chelsea and he decides that Diego, for some reason, that he needs Diego Costa go, gone, and the club don't want that, so he sends him a text message asking him. I mean, it, it's just, yeah. I mean, is this guy for real? Like, I mean, is this some of the, some of the stuff that he does is makes me question if he's all there at times because it's not that that's not this isn't normal behavior. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand what goes through his mind when he after Bologna starts talking about. Okay, and I get that he wants to put everyone under pressure and say that you have to do better because that was an abysmal result. But then to continue all of that nonsense um, after the Hellas Verona game, essentially putting Inter into a form of crisis, and 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 you know these rumors from from people like Momblano and Ravezzani saying that Suning are seriously considering replacing him with Allegri. This does not this does not work in Inter's favor, and it's is it's all a self-inflicted wound. And to me. I don't know what you, what, what you think, but this is to me his biggest Achilles heel. He doesn't seem to have any control over his temper. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and yeah, it's complicated. Honestly, I think that I, I rewatched a bunch of the early season games that Inter played during lockdown for a piece that I was working on. And I was, there were times where it was real jaw on the floor stuff. I think Inter have played this season some of the best football that they have played in years and years and years. And I'm sure you guys all have opinions on that as well, because you watch them um, all the time. But I, I I think some of the football, and, and what's most frustrating about it, though, is that some of the football that I put in that category is in games they didn't even win. It's the games against Barcelona and Borussia Dortmund. Mm. When, when you rewatch them, those games stand up. It's not a false memory. Inter were brilliant. And I think that Conte... Is so maniacal about the specifics that his um, that this is why I wouldn't write him off because I feel like if you get Tonali, Hakimi, you bring back uh, Lukaku who's been brilliant this season, I think you get Eriksen in for a full preseason and you make it all work. It could be something else. It could really be something else. But the question that you raise of whether or not he can control himself enough to to not bring it all crashing down is a fair one. Um, he has been self-destructive for sure this season. And I think the Costa story is definitely relevant because, yeah, if Ericsson, if Ericsson doesn't work out, I think it's going to become one of those examples of the club panicking because Conte was angry and signing <laughs> a player who didn't fit. And I, I worry that... Even Tonali, who I think is brilliant, isn't necessarily the fit that Inter need. When you've already been, what even what even happens to Stefano Sensi, who is so fantastic in the first part of this season? You have too many bodies in midfield, and you have other areas. And yeah, I think there's there's a certain lack of control to the club's greater vision, and I worry that's being driven by Conte and his his um, yes flights of rage. Absolutely. Um, before we let, let, let you go, I um, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about, because I think what we saw against the Torino, and I thought it looked really well, and this is something I've been talking about for a few for, for a few months now, and I think that the solution to that could be a 3-5-1-1 with Eriksen as in a free role mm-hmm. behind Lukaku. I would like to, I don't want to pick your brains on that. What, what's your thoughts on that? Um, on paper, yes, um, I like it. I think that uh, what's interesting is if you look at the games where Eriksen has given his best performances, um those were, I would say, against and Napoli certainly was was one of his sort of real standout performances. You, you look at the players he had behind him, he had Barella and he had Brozovic, which probably is, technically speaking, um, the, the most sort of competent midfield I think Inter have, the most talented uh, 
players behind him. And and I think you definitely need to think about the alchemy of the players behind him to get the most out of him. And perhaps putting uh, three together in that midfield will allow you more flexibility to make sure he's sort of supported by technical players like that, but also has, um, who knows, um, uh, I've got Gagliardini's name in my head, but I don't think he's playing very well. But someone who's <laughs> just a bit more of a of a lump, if you know what I mean. Um, and uh, yeah. Us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the thing that's bugging me with Ericsson is just I think there's been a slight lack of personality from him. I don't think he gets off um, blameless in these performances and you blame it all on the manager. I think Ericsson has drifted in and out too much and, and I don't think he was free from that criticism at Tottenham either. So I need to see him, I need to see him ready to carry uh, a team because I think that's, again, without wanting to to, to repeat myself, I think Lukaku has really done that. I think even when Inter have been falling apart this season, Lukaku has been the guy taking them on, carrying them on his shoulders, trying to drag them forward, doing the right things, even when the team around him isn't. And I think he needs to be supported. I think he needs someone else who's going to do that. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And if uh, people if you people want to follow you on Twitter, uh, what's your handle? And also, if you got something coming up that you want to plug, then go right ahead. Um, my Twitter handle is just Nikki Bandini, um, CKY for Nikki. Um, I don't know if I have got anything um, particular coming up. I feel like I am in the full speed ahead grind of the two games, uh, two match days a week, five nights a week, six nights a week, <laughs> season right now. But uh, definitely do tune into the Serie A Awesome podcast as well, which comes out on um once a week on the ESPN FC feed. We do move it slightly from Tuesday to Wednesday, depending on those midweek games at the moment. But normally <laughs> Tuesday, uh, there's one out today. So, yeah, check oh, that out. Definitely. I can definitely recommend that. I love that podcast. I think you and Mina, uh, who, who you, Mina and Gab, who's, who's also good friends of ours, who come on the pod. We, we, I really like the stuff you got going. It's really interesting to listen to. We had a fun show today. So, yeah, check it out. Thank, thank you so much, Nikki. No props at all. Take care. You Bye. too. See you. Bye. Bye. Right. Um, let's uh, let's talk. Let's talk. Um, uh, let's talk about the past week. Um, I mean, let, let's start about. Let, let's start with uh, with uh, with the Hellas Verona game, um, which I guess you know. Um, look, look. The first half was atrocious. Inter were lucky to be only a goal down, and then Candreva of all people scores, uh, as the Italians say, has a, a, a has a cool occasion. He had so much luck. Fulvio can correct me if that's the correct use of that, but he he was lucky. All, all right. <laughs> that's, yeah. No, but seriously, Fulvio, I want to hear what your thoughts on this. I mean, this past week, just take it away because I don't even know where to begin. I'm confused. <laughs> so is uh, the the question is uh, is this just uh, past the past week uh, or? Uh, there's a path on that because uh, I keep um, listening to people that tell me that uh, Inter is different uh, on the um, mm. post-COVID uh, stop. Uh, but uh, to be honest, I see the same thing. Just remember the derby in February. Atrocious first half, Inter was lucky to be uh, to be down by two. And after that, they come back. And um, with Verona, happened the same, practically. Right, so a, a lack of attitude uh, into the into the approach of the game, uh, and you can see by by Skriniar, but it's not because of Skriniar, right? It's a Skriniar yeah. today uh, or at least the Skriniar past week. It was Gagliardini two weeks ago. It Pandanovic was against Torino. Pandanovic against Torino is uh, it's it's um there, there there is this path that we know so so well. And uh, this is not changed, and this is why I'm disappointed uh, by by this interseason. Uh, not because of the numbers, uh, because I can see there's some progress, uh, but because uh, I can see that uh, in the last uh, in the last ten or twelve games, uh, which uh, had covered uh, a, a time frame of uh, like six months, but uh, in this last games. Uh, we keep doing the same things, actually. We concede the same goals. Uh, we concede the same chances uh, from uh, the same position uh, with uh, the same mistakes. Just uh, remember Candreva in Parma, which is light uh, against Gervinho on the on the weak foot. <laughs> this is not acceptable, actually. No, it's not no. acceptable, right? And you can tell that it's a matter of the players. I'm, I'm okay with that because uh, we are 
practically in we are, we are practically full of this um, about the 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 quality of the player that is not enough. But you cannot uh, tell me that uh, this thing uh, are keep happening because they're they're just the same. I keep happening uh, all the all the same way, uh, and it's the same it's the same stuff uh, of the of the um, of the previous year with a bit of more of quality in the field because uh, of the more opportunities uh, um, covered by the by the by the management. But uh, at the end of the day, I don't think any real improvement on that. Uh, at, at, at contrary, I, I, I can see something worse, which is the defensive phase. That was practically the only thing that uh, uh, Spalletti relied uh, to, to go into the Champions League spot. And now seems, uh, seems gone, mm, actually, because uh, we are not able to maintain a, a clean sheet until uh, we don't play against a doomed uh, team like Brescia. So I, I'm disappointed about this. I don't know your opinion. Mm, I think that's a great, that's a great shout. Um, well, Mo, what's your opinion? You're Mr. Positivity, so you got Last week you talked me and Michael off the ledge. Now it's time to speak, talk fully off the ledge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I look. On, there are there are certainly some disappointments uh, to the to the season, especially to the way it's ending. But uh, I I also think that uh, you know uh, we have a habit of looking at things from our own perspective without seeing things from the outside. There's a reason why Inter are in second place at the moment. It's because second place and still with a fighting chance mathematically of uh, con competing for the Scudetto. And it's because other teams are, 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 are screwed as well. And I think it's because of the really grueling schedule, which is especially taxing on a team. I, I go, I know, I'm sorry, listeners, but I go on and on about this every week. It's especially tax, uh, taxing on a very shallow squad, which is what we have. You know, we have Barella and Sensi out. We don't know what to do. Our midfield, you know, Nicky was talking about uh, uh, not needing Sandro Tonali because what are we going to do with Sensi? But what are we going to do with Sensi? Are we ever going to see him step on the pitch again? You know, exactly. it, are, are we ever going to see uh, Quadua Samoa play a touch of football in an in a inter kit? <laughs> uh, you, you know, it, it's. It's all fun and games. Everyone was really disappointed when Candreva was left out for uh, for D'Ambrosio, but we saw what he did when he uh, when he came on the pitch. He missed uh, uh, he missed with with his poor decision making, which is his con consistent you know his deal, consistent yeah. yeah consistent problem all over all over. What happens? He misses an opportunity to to give Lautaro an assist of gold, you know, yet again. So it it, it is what it is. I. I I really enjoyed Nikki's analysis on on the issue of the window. I I, I loved how, her take on how Juventus might be de devolving and we're evolving. I think I'm, I'm, there are disappointments to the season, but overall, I think we're in so much more of an improved space. Um, Atalanta are a far better team than they were last year. Far better team. I mean, they have a fighting chance of winning the Champions League. Napoli under Gattuso. Let's not forget, under, under Ancelotti, they weren't that bad. To start off with, it was just this ridiculous implosion in, inside the club that led to uh, Ancelotti leaving. And then under Gattuso, they're a team that's won the Coppa Italia. They're a, team, they're a very strong team. Uh, and, and we're fighting with all, these, with all these teams. Lazio, of course, we don't want to talk about them because you know, the, 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 the break has, has destroyed, has destroyed uh, their, their chances of... Uh, you know, finishing the season uh, meaningfully. But all I'm saying is teams around us are competitive and yet we're in, we're in second place. I think we will continue being in second place at come the end of the season. Uh, I think being in second place and almost competing for the Scudetto or for the, 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 the top spot in the table for a good half, if not two-thirds of the season, is a vast improvement on... You know, everything of the last decade. You know, yeah, yeah, no, no, you know, like uh, holy water, uh, <laughs> Allah Akbar, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hail Marys, uh, whatever, you know, uh, praise Buddha, whatever, you know, uh, all, all these rituals that we do before the last game against Empoli or the last game against Lazio, you know, it's it's vastly improved. So, so there, of course, there are disappointments, and we need to be demanding because we're a team that you know we're, we're supporters at the end of the day of Inter, and Inter should be a club that always com competes and demands excellence. Uh, 
but we shouldn't lose sight of of what's the, the great strides that have been made this season in particular. So yeah, I, that's my piece. I may, may, may I disagree a bit with you, Mo? Oh, even even though even though I really, no, no, I really please, yeah, of course. <laughs> I really respect I really respect your positive attitude because uh, you know on the paper everything everything you said is correct. But uh, just let me remind you what is the difference uh, between the with, with the gap with uh, with, the, with the first with the first place uh, so with Juventus in this case uh, from Allegri to Sarri because uh, in the last three seasons uh, uh, I mean in the 2017 Juventus at this point was 80 in the standings and uh, both uh, uh, two years ago and last year were 84 so there will be a 12 points and a 16 points uh, of uh, of gap uh, in if we translate the situation to this. Uh, uh, to this season, to this interseason. So I don't know. I think that uh, this uh, this fact that uh, the Juventus uh, is uh, way weaker than the last years, and we could see on the on the pitch uh, as we could see that on the numbers, uh, it it doesn't sound to me like an improvement. It sounds like like a missed chance, to be honest, and probably not not to be repeated again, right? Because uh, Juventus could be could be just on the on the on the transition of the of a new coach. Uh, which is not used to this kind of uh, this kind of uh, of reality of Juventus reality, which is so much different from uh, Napoli and different from Chelsea. So this this could be not repeatable. I mean, uh, you could have a better team next year, of course. You can have a, be- a better mentality next year. Uh, you can try to to do something next year. But the fact that you did you you was you weren't able to. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, annoying a little bit uh, more Juventus, uh, especially in the two in the two clashes we had with them. For me, it's annoying. For me, it's, it's disappointing because uh, Juventus had 76 points, under 80 points at this time. Let me let me tell you, with Allegri, it would never happen. Never, at least uh, for, for, with 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 Allegri's Juventus uh, that we used to the last year, the last years. So for me, it's not. Uh, I can I cannot see this on the perspective of the improvement. But I can see that on the on the perspective on the perspective of the missed chance. I, I, I think that's a, I think that's a good point. Um, William, last week's Moji, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think I, I side more with Fulvio, unfortunately, on that because the you know the, at the moment I had um, at the start of the season, if we just take the league season, I had kind of two vague wishes. In just sort of numerically and one was to finish within 10 points of Juventus and the other one was to get 80 points because I think those would both be given previous gaps and given previous points totals that would have been that would have been all right and those are both still very much achievable with six games left but the problem is kind of how it how you get there because and this is really what is, is sort of running underneath my slight pessimism heading into the next year um, and maybe the year after and that's maybe why I was asking Nikki have we missed a chance this trend of starting brilliantly and then tailing off in the second half of the season, it's so similar to previous years. And I don't know what that says about, I don't know what the reason for that is, because the coaches are different, the players are different, mostly, um, and it keeps happening. And you sort of keep having the same sort of schizophrenic performances. And that's what really, you know, the inconsistency, that's that's what I find frustrating. You know, if we'd had a sloppy start to the season and Conte had taken a while to get going and then you know, we sort of zoomed up to 68 points with six games left. And that might be different because then, you know, the trajectory would be more encouraging. But it does feel like something is um, something has been broken. And, I, and that's why I was that's why the last few weeks have been so disappointing, because this year and I've done this before, admittedly, I didn't think the winter of discontent would be a thing. And so when it does happen, oh, it, I, it hurts, I was pretty it hurts even sure. more. I, I mean, I, so, I, I don't want to be like that, but I mean, I was expecting it. I was just the only thing okay. I was hoping. The only right, thing I was well, hope. The only thing I was hoping for was for Conte to ease the fall. Um, right, well, okay. Well, <laughs> I can tell you what I was thinking, and that's that it wouldn't happen as bad as this. Mm-hmm. So that's all I can tell you from from, especially having seen the first half of the season because we've had a great first half of the season before, but you know they didn't always feel maybe sustainable. The performances weren't convincing, and you could maybe see a reason for a bit of a dip. Um, maybe when your luck runs out, or you know, um, or when teams start figuring out, I didn't really see that that happening this year. As not maybe a little bit, of course, but not as much. And that's what's disappointing. Now, and this is without considering the, the the sort of the slight missed opportunity in the Champions League, which admittedly was a very difficult group. But you know, you had it in your hands. You you, you put everything back together, and then and then missed the final match against 
um, Barcelona. We'll see what happens to the Europa League. I expect little from that. But if, if they win that, obviously that changes things. Uh, the Cup is a bit difficult because played well, went out. That's kind of a missed opportunity as well. Um, but I just have to go back to what Nicky said. It's so difficult to make to make a read on this team because they 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 just contradict themselves each week, or not even from game to game, from half to half. So and I maybe expected that a little bit less. Maybe the problem is I I believed Conte would get rid of the Pats a little bit quicker than he has. So. Mm. And, obviously, I mean, and clearly we've seen the last couple of weeks that's not the case. I mean, for me, I, I, I feel really conflicted between... Because I think Mo is absolutely right in what, he says, in what he says. But I'm also... I can't not agree with... I can't help but agree with what Fulvio says because it is a missed opportunity. Because let's remember, Inter could improve for next season. But you know who else could? Juventus. And they're already improving. Um, and they're improving vastly. They're already going through their change, adapting fully to to Sarri and and his 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 style of football. And they're bringing in some damn good players as well. So I'm 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 really conflicted here. But for me, that's not that's not even the half of it. It's it's all the chaos that he's created unnecessarily, um, and which he kind of seems to have realized was the, was a mistake because after Hellas, usually usually. Usually, uh, after uh, in, in, uh, after a first half in a game like that, Conte would come out fuming and furious. But instead, he, he decides to say that it's a good performance. I'm happy with what they're doing, and the team immediately immediately respond to that. And I think that's. I hope that that wasn't just a one-off. I hope that that's that's what he's going to do from now on. I hope that he understands that he can't just be il martello. You know, he can't just be the hammer. He needs to understand that he need that there needs a little bit of TLC involved here as well. Because these players, it's D'Ambrosio and Candreva and Gagliardini. You can, it's like you're beating a dead horse at the end of the day. I mean, that's the way I look at it. And and you know, Gagliardini is never going to be De Rossi. Uh, Candreva is never going to be I don't know. Mosala. Mosala, exactly, and and D'Ambrosio is never going to be whatever it is D'Ambrosio, a good version of that is, because I don't know. But you know what I mean, like that. <laughs> well, hashtag not my con. No, but yeah. seriously, like that's that's that that's pretty much where we are, and, and that that's what kind of bugs me. So I am really conflicted. But I want to. Oh, this is a good segue because I want to talk about this. I felt against against Torino, something clicked. I felt in the second half. Inter looked like the old Inter that they start, did at the start of the season. They looked psychologically dominatori, as Italians say. They looked like a big team. They had they behaved like a big team. And even though there were individual errors still, they didn't look like panic deer in headlights. And that is what I was have been waiting for to see since the since the break. Because the first half against Sassuolo, uh, sorry, Sampdoria was fantastic. But it was fantastic the same way. A, bo- a bipolar patient is happy. There's no control over it. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel controlled. It feels like you're so happy right now and then you're really, really sad. That's how it's been with Inter. But against Torino, I felt like the meds were working and the patient was responding to finish that analogy. And it looked like it was a controlled kind of game where they, they clicked and they knew what was going on. Um, I don't know if you agree, Fulvio. Well, my genuine uh, my genuine sensation here is that uh, is that uh, the team uh, and probably Conte as well uh, at uh, at some point of the season, which I recognize uh, after the after the first uh, part of the season when you when you uh, when you started the, the second half of the season at 46 points, the the, the roster, the squad, the players, uh, and uh, for me Conte as well just uh, decide for some reason to set on that position because I cannot see any improvement from from them from uh, from from that uh, from that point if you see if you remember the, the games uh, uh, in uh, in December there was some uh, disruption but it was due to, to injuries uh, just remember that Borca Valero is playing uh, practically regularly now but he didn't play a single minute uh, before December so I could uh, recognize some uh, alibis. I could uh, give some alibis to this quote. But uh, my sensation is that uh, these players just set uh, on the standing that they had without aiming for something more. And that's the impression I have from Conte as well. I start to see from the Lecce's game, which was the first uh, of, the, of the second leg of the, of the Serie A. I can, rec- I can, I can see Conte that uh, was not agitated at all. Right? It was calm. It was... Uh, 
I don't know, a bit uh, a bit sitting on the on the situation. So probably, I don't know. It's like it's like at the, at that at that point, Conte realized uh, he cannot win with his players this season, uh, no matter what the effort, uh, no matter what the what the changes. And I cannot see any improvement on the team. I mean, okay, you you talk about the click, and uh, this actually pissed pissed me off more than ever because uh, that's sure, that proof that Inter can play uh, and can play good. But just decide not to do that because we are we are full of games uh, that was playing half. I I mentioned the derby, but I can also mention the Borussia Dortmund game. Incredible first half in Dortmund, and after that the second half practically Collapse. not played. Collapse. 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 Not not mm. played. Yeah. And Fiorentina as well. Fiorentina game as well. It was a good first half if you remember, and after that uh, uh, the, the worst second half possible, and uh, you you concede you concede a late goal. And uh, you lost point. Uh, so I don't know. I my my main sensation is that it's the same of actually the last years. At the, at some point, the all the organization, uh, except except obviously the management. I don't think the management is happy with that. But uh, all the organization into the field at some point decide that could sit on the on the results, could sit understanding and comfortable with our with our Champions League spot and nothing more. That's that's my genuine impression. That's true. That's true. And and I mean, if you look at the fact that Inter have thrown away 20 points, they would have been comfortably leading if they've only had 10 of them. I mean, like, yeah, I completely get that. Uh, they would have been able to bother Juventus seriously. I mean, if they just got half of those 20 points that they threw away, that's 88, that's 78 points and you're two points ahead of Juventus in your first season. So, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Right. Um, Let's uh, let's. I mean, we, we've got we've got two games coming up this weekend um, or this midweek. One is against Bottom's hopeless Spal, which anything else other than a Brescia type win is is just a disaster. So I don't think there's much to talk about. Although I want to say that last week we all kind of predicted that seven points from those three games against Hellas, Torino, and Spal. So let's let's see if that pre- <clears throat> prediction still stands. But now. On Sunday night, um, it's Inter against Roma. And if there's any club in this in this league that has had a turbulent a time, just like Inter, it is the Giallorossi. I mean, James Palotta and all the madness and the and the the, the, the infantile fighting on WhatsApp between the sporting director Petracchi, who attacks Palotta, who doesn't speak a word of Italian, in Italian on WhatsApp. Palotta has this translated to him, and then he kind of suspends him, aka sacks him. I mean, the, 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 you know, not to mention the, 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 just I mean, Brian Cristante as your central defender. I mean, it's just it's 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 really really not looking well. But having said that, Roma have looked a little bit better, and I really don't know what to expect against uh, Roma because. These two teams are mad. They're mad as hell. They're bonkers. They're batshit crazy, both of them. And I think anything can happen. Mo, what do you expect is going to happen? What do you what do you think can happen? Like if you just look into the Mystic Mo crystal ball, what are you thinking? Well, look, I you know I'm always a uh, a man who relies on intuition rather than facts and science, right? <laughs> uh, You'd fit in well in the UK. That's all I could say. You'd be a great UK politician. <laughs> and as an expert, great US president. And as an expert in uh, in um, factless uh, opinion, I'd like to uh, think that I wholeheartedly agree with you in um, in the fact that uh, I think that in the second half something did click. And I really like the analogy of control, especially with regards to the Sampdoria game. I, I agree with it. It's something that I can't put into words. It's, uh, but it's, uh, it's something that I felt now, and 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 you articulated well enough to make the thought, you know, solidify in my mind. So, if if that is the, in fact the case, and we are going to take three points from Spal, um, then I just think there's going to be sufficient momentum uh, to make sure that our, I don't know about dementia, when you want to call it our schizophrenia, our uh, multiple personality disorder, whatever it is as a club, uh, is buried deep enough. Uh, and Roma's is just, you know, I, I think it's irreconcilable, irreconcilable, irredeemable. It's they're, they're off the ledge, you know, there's, there's not, nothing to save their season now. So I think, um, I, I think we should look optimistically at, at, at both these matches. But, you know, yeah, that's no, no surprise just, coming from me. 
But <laughs> <laughs> also, this is instant, so you never know. Fulvio, what, yeah. are, you th- what are you thinking going into Roma? Roma? Well, uh, what I think is that um, before before going to Roma, I would like to have a, a fast uh, a fast watch on the on the Spal game, and I think Inter will win this game. Um, Spal is doomed; it's practically going to going to surrender uh, because it's uh, it's one one feet probably one feet and a half into the into the Serie B right now. So what I think it is going to happen, I think that Inter will win this game, which practically is going to seal the Champions League spot. And after that, I predict uh, in the remaining more games, like uh, five or six points in five games. You choose how to distribute that. But uh, I expect something this, something like this. After we seal the Champions League spot, um, we are not going to play consistently anymore. So this could start with Roma. Probably a draw would be the would be the most realistic results, but um, I don't know. I think that uh, the amount of points uh, from here uh, to the end of the season is not going to exceed the ten points, probably eight or nine points. That's, uh, so missing uh, Will's uh, tw- uh, eighty uh, point uh, mark by uh, just a couple of points. Yeah, I'm not confident about the eighty now. It needs four wins. <laughs> I don't think we get four wins with this <laughs> run of games. I mean, no, it's, uh, At- it's Atalanta, Fiorentina, Roma, Napoli. No, the last Genoa. two. The last ah. two are Atalanta and Napoli. So you're gonna have yeah. to win the four before that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, that's what I mean. I mean, it's like it's it's Fiorentina. The games we're going is Spal, Roma, Fiorentina, Genoa, Napoli, Atalanta. I mean. Yeah, you know. we're, we're going to lose to Genoa because they need to stay up. So you can write that one off. It's the third last. <laughs> We've already done that a few years ago. So even an empty Marassi is not not a nice place for us at the end of the no. season. Um, but oh. I, yeah, sorry, go on. So sorry, yeah, no, I just uh, I, I'd like to you know put a silver lining on what Fulvio is saying. I think if you take your foot off the gas, it means you're preserving some something for something else. And I'd like to uh, then uh, re-invite you to uh, my, predict- <laughs> my, my prediction about the Europa League. So I mean, so, I have to say, I'm glad you oh, brought that on. up. No, I'm glad I, you I brought have, that up. because I, I have an I optimistic have to... take on every, everyone else's pessimistic take. <laughs> Whatever take you got, I can spin it. No, I know. <laughs> it's like, it's like you're, you're, you're like a positive version of like, I don't know. Like, like I don't know. Never mind. Let's not get into that. But um, I, I was going to say, but after having watched the draw, I'm not. I'm. I'm going to go even further and say I demand a final of the Europa League now because yeah. you. You know, I'm. I'm sorry. With all due respect to Wolfsburg and Bayer Leverkusen and Getafe and all that, you know, if if Inter need to get to the final because they don't have they don't have any of the good team. They, Sevilla, Roma, Wolverhampton, Man United, all on the other end of the on the other half. So I. I, I think a final is is well. I think we can we can demand that now. To be honest. Yeah, if, if, you, if you thought my sort of um, level of optimism for the rest of the league season was low, you haven't heard my <laughs> thoughts on the Europa League in August, well, not, this mythical not, final eight. <laughs> we're not going to get into me. that because we'll, we, we got so many, we got episodes to look forward to that. Yeah, look forward uh, to that, yeah. <laughs> he said, with <laughs> a slight irony in his voice. Um, but um, I, I we've, been, we've been put in a draw with all the German teams that run and you think we're going to get through that. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Right. Let's um, let's uh, move on uh, to the part of the show where we pay tribute, rip the piss out of, and criticize someone or something heavily in the world of football. Starting with the negativity, this week's Moji, which we presented by Mr. Fulvio Santucci. Okay, so we need to talk about Samir Andanovic, guys. Once again, <laughs> we are at that point in which we need to talk uh, to, to Samir Andanovic. So let's, let's try to, to make a serious point here. Uh, of course, uh, I'm referring to the, to the big mistake against, uh, against Torino. Um, luckily, it was not a mistake that uh, led to, to, a, to a draw or to a lost game, luckily. But... Uh, it's not the first one, and uh, it's easily predictable that uh, uh, it won't be the, the last one. So um, everybody just uh, minimize this, uh, like, like always, like usual, and say that uh, mistakes can happen, uh, and uh, the goalkeeper is not, uh, is not the main problem. We need to stay focused to the, to the rest of the, of the team, of the lack of the teams. Uh, 
and this and this is all true. But uh, we are, we need to remember that uh, the situation of Inter now is not the same of uh, five or six years ago when Andanovic was a luxury for this team. Uh, you remember that uh, we have we, we remember our banter era in which Andanovic actually made the best season in Inter, uh, but uh, we are not at that point anymore. So it's time to be told. It's time to be. It's time to speak about this. Andanovic is good. Yes, he's good. He's probably is surely not the worst team, the worst goalkeeper in the league. Uh, he's probably one of the best, and uh, we are agree about that. But uh, it's not enough. Uh, it's not about the mistakes, guys. It's not about the mistake Andanovic do. It's about how you recover from them. And uh, a goalkeeper which kept on a team that want to win 36 years, a great experience, uh, shows uh, yesterday, showed yesterday that uh, he, won't, he, he, he wasn't able to mentally recover from, uh, from his mistake. And uh, Gioparda is, in my opinion, the, the victory of Inter uh, by giving not the, um, the safety that the, that the team needs. Um, what uh, people keep keep talking, you always remember the bad stuff and not the good stuff. But I think it's a, it's a matter of perspective here because a great goalkeeper is not about the number of saves. It's about the consistency of his performances. Just uh, ask Mr. Allison, Mr. Ter Stegen, uh, just to, to, to mention the, the modern one, but uh, also we can uh, rely to Mr. Iker Casillas, right? You cannot remember so many mistakes, or if you remember some mistakes uh, in their in their peak in their era, also Buffon is uh, is one of this. You can always tell that uh, they recovered, and uh, especially from for uh, for us uh, for uh, Inter supporters, uh, a, a goalkeeper is not enough to achieve uh, the expectation. Should should exceed the expectation, like Julius Caesar did, like Zenga did, and. Uh, that's that's what I think. I think that uh, this problem needs to be solved. Probably it's not urgent. Probably it's not the most urgent need to be taken care of at Inter. But as time goes, uh, we cannot recognize Andanovic as a winning player. And uh, one of the best goalkeeper of all time, I'm talking about Dino Zoff, who were champions with Italy in 1982, once said that uh, the goalkeeper is the one who spread his mental attitude to the rest of the squad more than any other player on the field. So if this is true, and uh, actually I rely a goalkeeper like him, this cannot be the right attitude, the right attitude for integrate plans. So I think it's time for a change. Sorry, Samir. I, 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 you know, you know, I love you, even though we don't have uh, uh, always a good time together. But uh, <laughs> I, I think, I think it's really time to to think about about a change. And uh, you are my moji of the week because it's well deserved. P.S. Happy birthday, Samir. Because <laughs> today is his birthday. As we yes, it is. It is. And also, uh, just, just before we went on this pod, uh, Sky Sport Italia reporting that Inter have agreed to extend Samir Andanovic's contract until... Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Fulvio. <laughs> of course, of course. It's always like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but it's true. Uh, Gianluca Di Marzio and the rest of the Sky Sports. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But guys, this is this is just this is just pastorello stuff, you know. Yeah, I know, you know, I know. pastorello yeah, stuff. Yeah. We Candre- Candreva will be the same. In, yeah. Without yeah. without any any apparent reason, Candreva will extend with Inter. Yeah. So. yeah. Until the end of Samir 20- Handanovic, here we go. Yes, until 2021, 2020, 2022, June is when he's going to extend it to. But look, I, I think you're absolutely right, Fulvio. I think it's time to move on. Um, and I think that it's time for Samir. I don't think it's necessarily the time to part ways with Samir, but I think it's time for to bring in a new number one at Inter. In the same way that Francesco Toldo became a backup to Giulio Cesar. I think that's the kind of thing we're, we need to go after. And I couldn't agree with you more because it's... Uh, he, 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 for everything you just said, pretty much. But when it comes to, I would like to, uh, you know, drunk driving, Marcelo Brozovic, for goodness sakes, man, don't sit behind the wheels of a car when you drink alcohol. It's as simple as that, period. Uh, that's uh, just a little addendum there. Right, let's move on to something much more positive. This week's Moratti, which we presented by Mr. Mohamed Nasser. He's, he works a lot, he's intelligent, and... He surprised uh, people sometimes with his uh, ideas. Not easy to find one person of this uh, qualities. So this week I don't have one, but two Moratis. Uh, the first Moratti is uh, last week's Moji, our very own 
Will Beckman. Biscotto! Biscotto! No, but honestly, for, for, for the tweet, uh, the tweet about uh, and the Hellas game where you can't, uh, oh, you yeah. can't risk, uh, you can't risk uh, squandering a lead if you've already gone behind in the first half or as, as fast as possible, which then became a premonition uh, for, the, for the match yesterday. Uh, but jokes aside, I, 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 I've, um, the, the real Mochi of the week, uh, the real Moratti of the week for me is uh, Borja Valero again. Um, I don't know what they are feeding this guy. Uh, whatever he's on, I want to be on all the time. But um, honestly, to have this uh, 35-year-old man who seemed, you know, uh, washed away, completely useless. Uh, and to be fair, it's not like he's putting in, you know, uh, world-class, world-beating performances. But to have him fight for uh, the squad and, and, and perform at a top physical Relative, relatively top physical uh, condition for 70, 80 minutes of uh, every match and to be a reliable uh, cog in the midfield engine that we've, you know, that has been decimated by injury, especially since post-resumption uh, post, uh, of the league. I, I, I just uh, hats off to this guy. He just head down, works really hard, runs as much as he can, different positions. And yesterday, you know, he's, he's playing... He, he, he's doing everything that we want Ericsson to be doing. Of course, Ericsson has infinitely more quality, you know, quality to his touches, and it was immediately evident when he stepped onto the pitch. But uh, Valero was tracking back. He was defending at a back left and a back right position. He was covering for the wing backs. This is stuff that 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 Ericsson does not do. Of course, you, you in return you get so much more uh, vision and class in the final third. But I, again, I, he's a very pleasant surprise post-resumption. It pains me to see him on the field because it means that we're missing the starting midfield, which is, you know, Barella, Brozovic, or Ensensi, or Barella, Brozovic, and, and, uh, and Ericsson. But uh, he's been a real, uh, a real uh, I don't know, like a real good team player for, for the, the amount of physical effort that he's, he's put out. I, I think the attitude from him and Alexis Sanchez is exactly so... Yes, nice. yeah. I mean, it's just both of those for me this week. I mean, look, you know, talk about wanting to be where you are and fighting for the shirt. And I think both of them really, really did that. And they really led the way. Uh, Alexis Sanchez and Borja Valero. Because Borja Valero looks about... At the 80th minute, he looks like... He's going to die from tiredness. Like he's he looks beyond exhausted. Absolutely, absolutely. And and, yeah. and that and that is just that is that that that, that commitment is, is is awesome to see. Right. Um. Let's move on to something much more comical. This week's uh, Moji. Sorry, last week's Moji and this week's Moratti, who will be presenting this week's Frog, Mr. Billiam Beckman. E clamoroso autogol di Ranocchia. I think I can't complete it. Um, full this, circle. This one is, full, full yeah, everything covered. Uh, no, this one is sort of uh, very slapstick, so I'm sure Nima's going to enjoy it. Um, there's some uh, childish humour in this week's frog. It's Michael Atherton, um, who is uh, a former cricketer who commentates on cricket for Sky Sports in, in the UK. Um, cricket returned this week to uh, our screens. England, I think we're playing the West Indies. But uh, he had a rather unfortunate moment um, during commentary on one, during one of the quieter periods. Um, they often read out tweets from people that are watching. And um, I think often people tweet in sort of updates from what's going on at their local cricket club. And then the commentators will read them out, sort of give them a bit of uh, airtime and, uh, and a moment of fame. But um, he fell for one of those sort of um, Simpsons style gags that they used to do on Mo when he was called up by rude names. <laughs> in his tavern um and so somebody tweeted in uh, unbelievable scenes at cockermouth cricket club with huge Jardon <laughs> bowling six for nine um and atherton did not really appreciate the true intention of this tweet and he read it out as if it was news come on uh, and, oh, he, uh, he didn't. Said, he did. There's, there's a video. There's a video <laughs> oh, of it. So Ben Stokes is just preparing to have a have a have a, a ball bowled at him, and he goes, uh, "Huge Ardon just bowled six for nine at uh, Cockermouth," and the next thirty <laughs> mid thirty seconds of commentary is just hysterical laughter from him and his two colleagues as they realise what they've just done on national television. Um, so I think 
it's not it's not a it's not a football one. I tend to I like to keep them in the realms of football if possible. But that one is just so quintessential frog, you know, um, just falling for a, a very simple and fairly predictable joke. Um, if, so if I we, think I think if, he needs that award. If we if we want to keep it in the world of football, we can keep it within Inter HQ. And whoever wanted to send an email to Stephen Zhang ended up sending it to everyone at the club. Um, I I don't even know what the hell like there. This is so bizarre and funny and crazy that to me that is that is just only at Inter. I saw a guy who who wrote who replied who responded to that when we were reporting that story. <laughs> he quoted that article that article we tweeted out and he, he put in do dot not dot reply dot to dot all dot like it's I mean. It's, <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this. Like, it's just, I mean, I, I, either it's incredible incompetence, which I hope it is, because that's the best case scenario, or someone is trying to, you know, wanted this to happen, which is very sinister, and we don't know that. So I'm hoping for for, uh, for, for the former, which is which is more funny. Uh, emails, high-tech shit. Right, let's, uh, that's all we have time for this week. I'd like to thank Nikki Bandini. I'd like to thank... Last week's Moji, this week's Moratti, and uh, Mr. Billion Beckman for presenting this week's Frog and the pod alt- and everything he said today on the pod. Thank you, Will. Thank you. Um, I predicted <laughs> four points last week. I predict the same this week. For the nice one. Uh, and as always, Mr. Fulvio Santucci, thank you for coming on. It's always a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Nima. Always a pleasure for me to be here. And Mr. Positivity and Mystic Mo, I hope you're right. We Europa League on the second spot. Let's, uh, let's hope so. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Great talk today. Bye. And as, and as always, I'm your host, Nima Tadale wishing you all a good week. Six points and sempre e solo Forza Inter. Forza!